Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about inheritance. We've been talking about these things that are given to us. Sometimes we receive an inheritance from a grandparent or a parent when they pass away. Uh, But when we're given something that we didn't earn, that just kind of comes to us because someone else earned it, we happen to be a part of their family. They thought about us with intentionality. What we learn is whether you received an inheritance from your grandparents or your parents or, or you're thinking about giving your kids, you know, an inheritance, wherever you are, Jesus has an inheritance for all of us. That the God of the universe thought about you, cares about you, and has prepared good things for you. We saw number one, the first inheritance that Jesus has for us is the gift of the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God that he heals, saves, restores, delivers, and brings forth life. And we've been given that in Christ. We learned about that two weeks ago. Last week, we learned about the gift of our testimony. That every one of us has a story that's meaningful and significant. And that God wants to use and wants to show you and then use you as you share your story to see the way that he has worked in your life. And we saw that our stories have power to not only help us overcome, but help other people overcome that God uses us as we share our testimonies. That's the second inheritance. We're talking about the third inheritance today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And I want to read this with you and point out what inheritance number three is. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That was inheritance number one. The 12 were with him. Note that phrase, they were with him. And also some women, note that the women were with him, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Look at that phrase, they were with him. They were with him. As we've kind of dug into this passage, we've looked at individual lives and individual stories, but if you'll pan out, if you'll zoom out on the picture, what you'll see here is that Jesus is not only at work in the lives of individuals, but that he is building a community. He's bringing people together. These are people of different backgrounds, different political beliefs, different genders, different economic classes, and he's bringing them together in a community that's marked by one thing, him, Jesus, being with them. If you think about their daily life, like if you put yourself in the story, if you put yourself kind of right in this community. You wake up in the morning and you're with Jesus, right? You probably have some sort of prayer that you do, right? You do that together and then you begin to eat breakfast and you eat breakfast with Jesus. And then it's like, well, what are we gonna do today? Jesus is like, hey, we're going over to this town. So like, okay, I'm gonna go with Jesus. And you probably pass a lot of long, mundane, boring miles walking from one place to another right? Because a lot of life is mundane, but it's mundane with him, right? You're with him. You're with Jesus. And then you go into, uh, it's time for lunch. Well, let's cook and make our lunch. And you make lunch with Jesus. And then you go out and you minister with Jesus. 
Then you come back. What happened? Well, this person was healed. This person was delivered. All this stuff happened. This is amazing. And you share with Jesus, right? You get the idea. They were with him. They were marked by being with him. Now, the people in life that we're with, we're with our family members by birth. You don't really choose your family. You're just kind of born into, this is my mom, this is my dad, this is my sister. Like, it just happens, right? Uh, your coworkers, you choose where to work, but you don't choose who you get to work with. But here what we see is people freely choosing to be with Jesus and Jesus freely choosing to be with them. Jesus primarily didn't give them a list of things to go and do. He didn't primarily kind of uh, give them assignments. He chose, he said, hey, I'm going to be with these people. What we call that in our language is friendship. Your friends are the people that you choose to be with. Your friends are the people that you choose to share life with. Your friends are the people that you choose to eat with and to do boring things with. And if you're a guy, you don't talk while you do those boring things. If you're a girl, you do talk. I, I understand and maybe sometimes different. But just, right, we, we do things, boring things with our friends. We do exciting things with our friends. We hang out with our friends a whole lot. It's not like a task or a chore to hang out with your friends. Like, oh man, that's a heavy weight. If it is, person's probably not a friend, right? We love hanging out with our friends. Here what we see is Jesus choosing friendship with these disciples and these disciples choosing friendship with Jesus. Now I would argue and I imagine we could all agree that we as people are wired for friendship. Like it's built into our hard drives. We long for friends. They say that babies as young as nine months old begin to develop an awareness of friends and a concept of friendship. Isn't that crazy? Nine months old. That's just wild. Like if you're not around babies a whole lot, like a baby that's nine months old doesn't do a whole lot, right? Maybe, they, maybe they're crawling by them, but it's just kind of a little blob. I've had four of them. They're just there, okay? Maybe crawling, maybe crying, you know, but there's not, a, you're like, what, what's going on inside your mind? One of the things that's going on is they're beginning to develop a concept of friendship, that's a blowaway. Researchers have found that you and I, we're more attractive when we're with friends. Like when we're with our friends, you look better looking. Huh. Isn't that amazing? Having good friends extends our life expectancy up to like 50%. If you have good friends, on average, you will live longer than someone without good friends. I read this uh, illustration in Success Magazine talking about friends. And they said, hey, if you were on a boat that was sinking and you were jumping in a life raft, right? And you have to decide what to take with you. If you're smart, you leave the deck furniture, right? And you take the food with you. You'd be strange if you took the deck furniture and left the food behind, right? You'd be like, you're an odd person. Probably lower your chance of survival. They said that we though, we get, we get busy, we get full. And for many of us, one of the first things that we throw out are our friends. Oh, I don't have time to get together. And yet it's our friends that we need to live and to flourish, right? We are wired for friendship. If you think about our nation, we're divided on so many things, so many differences, so many different perspectives. We see that all the time. But one thing, if we went throughout our nation, one thing I think we could all agree on that we all share in common is that we have had or we want friends, 
It's something that unites us. We're wired for friendship. And as much as we're wired for friendship with one another, as much as we flourish when we have good friendships in our lives, I would put before you that we are wired for friendship with God. That we're wired for a living relationship that looks like a friendship with the God who created us. Long ago, St. Augustine put it this way. He said, our hearts will not find rest until we find rest in you, O God. Meaning, we're going to search for all sorts of stuff in our life. And it's just going to be like grasping at the sand. Our hearts won't find rest until we find rest in God, until we develop a friendship with God. Now, it's not just people long ago who have thought about this. There's a new TV show that's come out this fall on CBS called God Friended Me. It's like a mainstream, like, you know, uh, 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, or if you watch on Amazon, just whenever you want, like TV show. And here's the premise of it. It was written by two uh, Jewish guys. One uh, doesn't hold the faith anymore. He's an, uh, my understanding is he's an atheist or an agnostic. One continues in the faith that he was brought up in. But they partnered together with this idea of what if we wrote a show about God friending someone? And so the story goes like this. The gentleman in the center, he's a young millennial African-American male who's an atheist. And he's not just an atheist, like, well, this is what I believe. He's kind of, he wants to promote atheism. And so he started a podcast to kind of promote and spread the message of atheism. And he's hoping to become a professional podcaster. Along the way, as the story's unfolding, he gets a message on his phone, a Facebook friend request from God. Now, you and I, if we got that right, you think it's a scam. You're like, this is one of those fake accounts that if you click friend, then they spam all your friends. You know, they're putting Ray-Bans on your profile. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he does too. He's like, this is a scam, delete. You know, get rid of that. This is a scam, delete. Happens again and again and again. Finally, he gets this friend request and the, the profile picture describes the scenery like perfectly that he's in. Like it's an exact picture of where he is. So he's freaked out and he's like, I think one of my friends is playing a joke on me. So I'm gonna press accept and just see what happens. So he accepts the friend request right? What happens next? He starts out of that, accepting that friend request, out of being friended by God, he starts uh, gaining insight into a number of key relationships that are going on around him. The insights that he gains out of this friendship with God, the wisdom that he gains out of this friendship with God leads one guy to, uh, who was going to take his own life, ends up is not committing suicide, gets restored to his calling. Another family gets reconciled. Even the, the central character after episode one, you begin to see his own family being reconciled as the fruit of this friend request from God. Now, as I told you, these people, uh, as, to the best of my ability, don't know Jesus. I don't know the future of the show or what all the motivations are in it, where it will go. But as I was watching this, I was like, this isn't a made up story. I can tell you from my own life and countless others, and what we see right here is that it's not a vain hope that there's a God out there who cares about us that would reach out to us like a friend and that the fruit of that friendship would bring healing in the lives of others around us. That's not a vain hope. That's what has happened in Jesus. That's what God has done in Jesus. That's what's happening here. Jesus came. They didn't have iPhones back then, but essentially he passed out friend requests. 
said, I want to hang out with you. I want you to be a part of my crew. I want you to come in. Let's do life together, right? And the people that responded to that friend request, that were friended by God, found their own lives transformed. And then they began to transform the world around them to see the world around them flourish and people come alive, right? We're wired for friendship with God. In this story, you see Jesus being a friend to these disciples. Now, when I first came across this concept, uh, I read about it in the Old Testament. I read about it in the life of Moses, the great leader of the people of God. And it said that one, as he was leading, he had this habit that he would go before the Lord, he would go and pray to the Lord, and that God would speak to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. And I read that. I don't know if you ever had this where a verse just kind of like fascinates you. You're like, what would that be like? Face to face with God, like a man speaks to a friend. I was just enamored with this verse. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was almost like, that is amazing. I don't know what that would be like, but it just was stirring something up in me. You see the same thing uh, when God is speaking about Abraham, again, another father of the faith. Isaiah 41, verse 8, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Think about that. Hundreds of years after your life, God's speaking about you. And he says, oh, Evan, my friend. Oh, Julie, my friend. What a blow away. Right? I read these and I was like, okay, that's really cool. Uh, but, you know, that's Moses, Hero of the faith, that's Abraham, hero of the faith. These are like the Navy SEALs of spirituality. Normal guy like me, I don't know if that is like an option. For me, is that just reserved for people from long ago? But what we see in Jesus is that Jesus comes and he shows us what God is like and he shows us that friendship with God is not reserved for some high and holy men and women from long ago. But he extends that invitation to all. He like is just active. He's generous with his friendship. So much so that he gets criticized for his theology. He gets criticized for, you know, what will the political effects of that theology be? But one of the main things that he gets criticized for is who he's friends with. People get down on him because you're a friend of tax collectors. They thought they were scum. You're a friend of prostitutes. They thought they were scum. You're a friend of sinners. They thought they were scum. Jesus didn't care. He was friends with them right? He's just like generous in his friendship. And that's what we see here. These disciples, I've told you about them. They are not, at this point in their lives, heroes of the faith. They are a ragtag bunch of misfits. Like think Bad News Bears. If you remember that movie, like this is not the A team. This is like, we didn't quite make the C team. And Jesus said, hey, I want to be friends with you. Ragtag bunch of people. What does that say for us? There's a powerful word and a powerful message in here about God's desire to have a real friendship with you, and with you, and with me, and actually with the whole world. In John 15, Jesus, speaking to these disciples, articulates it like this. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Now, are we servants of Jesus? Yes, right? But what he's saying is to his disciples that I'm not calling you servants. Instead, I have called you 
friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus, out of all the relationship kind of ideas and titles that he could have chosen for his people, he says, I call you friends. Friendship with Jesus, it's what marked these disciples and it is the third inheritance that is available to you and to me in Christ, a friendship with God. Now, let's talk about what kind of friend Jesus is. Because, you know, you, you might have some friends who are like, ah, I don't really know that, that, you know, that would be a good thing, right? You got some friends that maybe you need to kind of move on from, right? Is Jesus, what kind of friend is he? This is such a blowaway. When Judas Iscariot, who's one of the, the 12 mentioned here, who's been a part of this community, when he goes to sell Jesus out, remember he took, a, he took money to give up Jesus for Jesus to be crucified, right? He sells his friend out. When he comes to point out Jesus, read what Jesus says to him. Matthew 26, 50, Jesus speaking to Judas, when Judas is there to betray him, Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Jesus is a friend to us when we are unfriendable. Jesus is a friend to people who are in bad places, who are doing bad things, and somehow he chooses to say, hey, I still want to be your friend when you're at your worst. He's that kind of friend. You don't have to be perfect for him. You don't have to have it all together. Jesus is a friend even when we are unfriendable. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples that he's not the kind of friend that leaves, that just takes off, that that ghosts on people that you can't find anymore, right? You might have some friends like that. Jesus is not like that friend. He said, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not going to disappear on you. I'm not going to go away on you. I'm not just going to say, well, a better friend came along, so see you later. I'm going to be with you always, right? I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. Jesus is a trustworthy friend. In second or third grade, I had a crush on a girl and I told my buddy who I thought was my buddy that I had a crush on this girl, but please don't tell, you know, the girls our little secret. Well, my buddy had different ideas. I called my buddy. I don't really know, right? On my birthday, he decides to kind of spill the beans. I still remember the feeling of like, how embarrassed am I, right? I don't really know that he was my friend. It changed our relationship after that. You probably have had a friend that did something similar to you, right? Where you're like, I don't know if I can really count on this friend. But Jesus is trustworthy. Psalm 145 says this, the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises. Jesus doesn't make empty promises. And he's faithful in all that he does. That's the kind of friend that he is. Wow. Now look at this. Acts 4 We're going to see these same guys, Peter and John, who were a part of the 12, who were part of this group that was being with Jesus, who were the friends of Jesus. Jesus has now died, risen again, gone to the Father, given them the Spirit. They're leading the church, and they get in trouble. In fact, they get in a lot of trouble. People are really mad at them. And notice what these people observe about Peter and John. It said this, when they saw the courage, saw courage of Peter and John, And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, meaning this wasn't the A-team. This wasn't like the professional guys. This was like, whoo, kind of ragtag group. They were astonished. How do these men have this kind of courage 
and are leading this kind of movement. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, so Peter, right? We know he's good at business, but Peter is also a loose cannon. At least that's where he starts out as you read through the gospels. I mean, he's over here this minute, over here the next minute. You cannot count on Peter. But out of being with Jesus day in and day out, out of this friendship blooming in his life, Peter doesn't remain a loose cannon, but he is transformed into a faithful leader who will even give his life for the gospel. Peter ends up being crucified. How does a loose cannon who's fickle and hot and cold and all over the place become a faithful leader? He was with Jesus. And with that friendship, it bore fruit in his life. And it transformed him into the person that God had created him to be. John. John starts out in the Gospels. He's an interesting character. His nickname, does anybody know his nickname? Son of Thunder. How do you get a nickname like Son of Thunder? Well, I tell you, there was a group of people that didn't like what uh, they were talking about what the disciples were promoting. They didn't like spreading the message of Jesus. They disagreed with him. And John said, hey, Jesus, uh, do you want me to call down fire on them and destroy them? That's a son of thunder, right? That's somebody that likes wrestling, WWF or WWE or whatever it is, you know, just likes, likes NASCAR, likes to fight, likes ultimate fighting championship, like just one of those guys, right? John, this John, this kind of son of thunder, let's call down fire on people who don't agree with us. He listens to the news network that you hate, whatever your political persuasion is, the opposite. We're just like, gosh, you just caught on fire on everybody. Uh, Democrats, you got one. Republicans, you got one too. <clears throat> He's that guy. That's where John starts. But that's not where John ends. John writes, first, second, and third John, the main message is, little children, let us love one another for love is from God. Wow. How does a man who wants to call down fire on people who disagree with them become a man that leads the church to love one another and to love their neighbors as themselves? How does that happen? It's out of being with Jesus. Again, out of friendship with Jesus, John developed into the person that God called him to be. I'm about to have my uh, high school reunion you know, you go to a high school reunion and you see friends you haven't seen in a, in a long time. And, you know, you wonder what's become of people, what has happened in their lives, right? In high school, we had all these awards like most likely to succeed, most athletic, most likely to be president. You had them too, like all these things that we were predicting about our future. And you go to a high school reunion, and you kind of see, well, what's happened, right? Have you lived up to your potential? You know, and you're like, I, I don't know. This person really surprised me. They, they kind of way, went way past what I thought they had potential for. That's Peter and John, right? They didn't win most likely to succeed. They didn't win like, you know, uh, best looking. They didn't win most likely to be the president. They weren't the winners of the awards, but they developed into the greatest leaders of their generation that led a movement that upended the Roman empire and transformed it and brought about the flourishing that the gospel brings. That's Peter and John. They got there out of friendship with Jesus. So what can we learn from that? As we develop friendship with Jesus, we become 
the people that God created us to be. We're transformed in the process. I love this quote by Aristotle on the matter. He said this, wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is a slow ripening fruit. What does that mean? We can meet people and be like, man, I want to be that person's friend. Or, hey, this is my new friend. Or, you know, kinda, I kind of know somebody. That's quick work. That can happen in a moment. But real friendship, depth of friendship, is slow, ripening fruit. I have a friend who we have been friends since first grade. Through thick and thin, through every season of our lives, we've been buddies. Slow ripening fruit. When I'm with him, we have this history of experiences together that goes way back. We, have, we understand each other. I mean, it's just slow ripening fruit. You don't get friends like that in a week or a month. Those things take years and decades, right? Peter and John, they didn't become these people out of one power encounter here, out of one ministry line here, although they had power encounters, although I believe in ministry lines. It took years of being with Jesus, that slow ripening fruit that produced a harvest in their lives. I want to put before you that the greatest need our world faces is for the friends of Jesus to step into our inheritance as his friend and to be a friend to him. Dallas Willard, who is a USC philosophy professor, you know, philosophers think about the big issues of life and kind of write about them. Well, he wrote about what's the most significant problem facing the world today. Most significant issue facing the world today. Here's what he said. The world, the most significant issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or by culture are identified as Christians. And the question is, will, if they will become disciples, if they will become students, if they will become apprentices, as they will become practitioners of Jesus, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. You get it? For people to step out and to grow in their friendship with Jesus, and then wherever you are assigned, whatever neighborhood, whatever industry, whatever school, whatever family, wherever you are, to usher in the good news of the kingdom of heaven into that place. I want to make this clear. When we, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we're talking about the gospel, God's ways create human flourishing. People prosper and flourish under God's ways. What that doesn't mean is if you follow God that everything in your life is going to work out right and you're going to get everything you want to. No, no, no. Life is hard for everybody. But God's desire is to prosper and flourish and develop. Not just you, not just me, but every person on the planet. And that happens through the kingdom of God being manifested in all the different spheres and pockets of this world. That's why Willard is saying the greatest thing the world needs is for Christians to step into that friendship with Jesus, let themselves be transformed, become the people God's made them to be, and then go into the area that God's called them to and to bring in the rule and reign of the kingdom of heaven, which is not kind of a hard hand pushing down on people, but it's love, it's sacrifice, it's service, it's honor, 
It's those things that bring about the flourishing of the world. Now, I want to share with you something that has been perhaps one of the greatest motivations in my own friendship with Jesus uh, that has consistently brought about just a hunger for personal change in my life. And it's the desire not just to have Jesus be my friend, but it's to be a friend to Jesus. You get that? You, you can have lots of people that you're a friend to that may not necessarily be your friend in return. You can encourage people. You can invite people to do stuff. You can hang out with people, but they may not think of you as a friend, even though you are friending them, right? We, we've all experienced that, right? You experienced that? Are you guys asleep? Have you experienced that? Yes. Okay, we all know, we all know that, right? Something is different when we demonstrate friendship to someone and they respond with friendship themselves. We have all been the recipients of an incredible offer of friendship. And Jesus has been an incredible friend to us. Are we going to be friends to him? He said this in John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus laid down his life for the whole world. In a sense, Jesus has sent a friend request and been a friend to every person on the planet. Like it's not like, oh, here's a little few over here that I'm gonna be friends with. No, he's lavish in his friendship. But then he goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. Meaning I'll be your friend. I'll, I'll lay down my life for the whole world. But if you wanna know how to be my friend, if you wanna return friendship with me, then you practice the way of Jesus. You, 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 you integrate the life of the kingdom, the teachings of Jesus in your life. That's how we become friends of Jesus. I wanna close with just one uh, objection, maybe, that you might be having. Isn't it a little weird to talk about friendship with an invisible kind of object? <laughs> like, what, what it, I understand, like a friend, like you... You go to lunch with them, you play sports with them, you, 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 know, you hang out with them, you watch a show with them, whatever. How do you have a friendship with something that's invisible? And isn't that a little weird? Like, isn't that a little intense? Like, that just kind of seems over the top. I, I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it does like, huh, that's a little different, right? But I want to encourage you to think about it from a different perspective. When you look at the universe and you see the way the universe was designed, and you see the, the intentionality and the complexity, yet the simplicity of like the solar system. And then you look at our own planet and you see the way that it has been designing. You look at our own bodies. Like, have you ever been overwhelmed at the human body? And like, how do our bodies know how to do all of these things? It's like amazing. When you think about that, the God that created all of those things, why would it be surprising that the one who is this artist, the one who is this genius, the one who is this creator, that this God would want more than a passing relationship with his creatures, would want more than, hey, I'm in a tough time, God, please help me. Like, would want an actual real relationship. It doesn't seem that far-fetched. And if you and I, which we are, are created by such an amazing artist and creator who created the universe and created our world and created you and me, why would it be weird 
that we would want more than just a passing relationship with God, someone we can call out to and we're really in trouble, why wouldn't we want an active, living connection with our Creator? So on the one hand, it does seem a little weird, but on the other hand, it seems like, well, this may be actually the most natural thing to want in life. And it may be the most natural thing to, to think about, right? It's a natural thing to pursue. So I share that with you uh, because I realize that this, for many, is like, huh, I, this is a new idea or a new topic. I just don't get how this works. And I want to encourage you that as we practice the way of Jesus together, that you're going to experience more and more experience in your life of his friendship, a realization of the way that Jesus is your friend and an opportunity to be a friend to him in return. I want to invite you to stand as we close today. I want to pray for us that as we go this week, that we would go out and that we would cultivate that friendship, that we would take this inheritance. Uh, our prayer and prophetic team is going to be available to minister to people after the service. And there are a couple of specific people that we prayed about that just sense the Lord wants to work. And number one, you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You just, you know, you're like a friend that I like that idea. I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of spiritually blind, right? If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus wants to befriend you. And Jesus wants you to know him. And he wants to step into your life and transform your life. And so our prayer and prophetic team will be available. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come forward after the service. We'd love to help you take that step. Um, number two, there's somebody here who uh, it has a connection. Either it's your name or you know someone named Tommy. And something happened in the sixth grade that you know what it is. And God wants to minister to you today. And then number three, we want to pray for healing and right knees. We God wants to heal people's knees. So I'm going to get the prayer and prophetic team to come forward while I pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you want to be our friend. Thank you that that's not just a, an idea from a TV show, Lord. But this is reality that you long ago stepped into our world as a friend, Lord. And you invite us into a real friendship with you. I pray for our community, God, that we would receive and step into that inheritance that our lives would be marked by being with you. And that the fruit of that, Lord, would be that we develop into the people that you've made us to be and that our world would receive the healing and the flourishing that you long to give. In Jesus' name, amen.